everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we talk about strange things that happened in history. I am your podcast host today, Amelia Edwards, and with me is Barnaby King. Hello. And today we're doing something brand new. We are doing the second part of a two-part episode. Whoop, whoop. Because we're going to talk about Eleanor of Aquitaine's second marriage. Hooray! Oh, again. Again, God. Jesus. Talking about Eleanor of Aquitaine, we need to move on to something else. God. Like a man, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Men write history, don't you know? Men are history. Yeah. Women are just there doing stuff. <laughs> Getting that's married not, to people. That's not history. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I actually have to start off with a bit of an apology. Oh. Uh, I messed up some numbers oh, okay. in our last episode. What did you mess up? Um, I think I said that she was imprisoned by Henry II for 10 years. Yeah. It was 16. Oh, well, that's not so bad. Well, okay, I mean, that's bad, but not bad as in, like, the error is bad. And I think she had, I think I said she had three sons. Mm. She had five. Oh, well, that's okay. Sorry. I mean, it's three in the line in winter. So. It's three in the line in winter. <laughs> I'd forgotten that the young King Henry had died. And that's going to be really important oh, this yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Right. I was just really fixated on her going on crusade and I'd totally forgotten everything else that happened in her life. Yeah, to be fair enough. Because there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, unless you have any more corrections. No, that's it. Those are my corrections. Okay, shall we get on with... So, last time, if I remember rightly, she has... The marriage has been annulled. Mm -hmm. And eight weeks, wasn't it, in between her marriages? Yes, eight weeks. Um, So, the marriage has been annulled. Mm -hmm. She's travelling back to Poitiers, which Mm -hmm. is like her main place where she lives when she's not with somebody, I guess. Yeah. Um, On the way back... Two lords try to kidnap her in order to marry her. Oh, wow. Because I've mentioned the Aquitaine's pretty damn big, right? Yeah. And also, it's really good at producing a lot of food, so it's worth a lot of money. Is that a plan that could work? Uh, yeah, yeah, sort of. I mean, wouldn't she need to, you know, consent to the marriage in some way? Like, I, I get when, if you're having your marriage arranged, you've got a lot of, like, familial pressure and diplomatic pressure... Mm. But if two random guys yeah. appear in the wilderness yeah. and go, we've got a priest here, you're going to marry <laughs> one of us. Okay, uh, to to proceed this, these were Theobald V, Count of Blois, yeah. and Geoffrey, Count of Nantes. So they, they're powerful men. They're not just like random dudes with a knife being like, right. okay. Okay, okay, because... <laughs> I mean, when you said that two dudes try and kidnap her in order to marry her, yeah. that's what I picked. Oh, right, right. No, no. <laughs> two very wealthy, or reg- originally men, want to get originally the Originally men. <laughs> <laughs> two already very wealthy men right. with power, being counts, yeah. also try to kidnap her. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, Geoffrey, the Count of Nantes, is the brother of Henry, Duke of Normandy. Ah, right. So, I don't know, maybe there's something about nearly getting kidnapped by someone's brother that makes you go, oh, wait a second, he's hot, though. <laughs> His brother's a creep, but he, ooh, oh, ooh yeah. Oh, that Henry the Second. <laughs> I mean, so... I'm not sure if this is true. I heard this from my mother, who is also into medieval history, but she always thinks that Henry II's nickname is Longshanks, 
Which means he's long-legged. I have heard this, but I don't know if I've just heard it from you repeating your mother. It's Could quite be. possible. Um, anyway, as far as I can tell, Henry II is a bit of a hunk Oof. in medieval terms because, nice. you know, he's got them legs. Wow, them legs. Them legs. <laughs> so anyway, having almost been kidnapped, I think she has a moment and she's like, I really don't want to spend all my time nearly getting kidnapped. Yeah. Um, which apparently is what's going to happen to her if she's not married. Yeah, that makes sense. So she's like, oh, hey, let's send envoys to Henry Duke of Normandy. Mm. He's going to be King of England someday. Yeah. Um, and let's get him to come at once to marry me. So the brother who tried to kidnap her, was yeah. he kind of like lower in the hierarchy than his brother then? Yeah, he was a younger brother. Oh, what an upstart. I know. <laughs> um... So he was never going to be King of England unless Henry died. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why he's like, oh, I want the Aquitaine. Right. Okay. If I can't have England, I'll have the mm. Aquitaine. Although, really, kidnapping Eleanor of Aquitaine in order to get the Aquitaine sounds like it's going to be a right pain. Because yeah. we've talked about Eleanor already. She's not the sort of lady who's going to be part of a quiet domestic no. marriage. Especially not if you've kidnapped her. No. You really don't want to piss her off, like... No! Go I on. imagine if, 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 if you do marry her, and she didn't want to be married to you, mm-hmm. you are in for a world of turmoil <laughs> and marital discomfort. Oh, like... yes. I mean, even if she does want to marry you so much so that she orders you to come and marry her, mm. um, you're still in for a world of discomfort, as yeah. we should discuss. Yeah, fair. And it, her marriage to Louis wasn't exactly... Happy because, you know, he doesn't satisfy her. No, and with Henry, it's kind of the other way round. So, uh, or or not quite, not quite. (laughs) I I said that wrong. Uh, Okay. So, let's say her marriage to Louis wasn't sexy enough, right? Right, yeah. Um, Henry seems to have had a libido that rivaled Eleanor's own. I was going to say, because when you said, like, it was the opposite problem, if he had more of a libido from what we know of Eleanor of Aquitaine, oh my god, they'd never get anything done. Um, (laughs) well, he also has a roving eye. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, Eleanor. I know, I know. So, Whitsunday, right? 11.52, eight weeks after she's got an old from Louis, uh, she gets married to Henry of Normandy without the pomp and ceremony that befitted their rank. Oh, I right. think I think it's fair to say like she was pretty into him to be honest. Yeah. And I I mean he was pretty into her as I said just earlier. Uh, she had five sons mm-hmm. with Henry. Um she also had three daughters with Henry as well. Oh my god. I know. Um so as opposed to with Louis where over the course of what was it like 10 years? Yeah. Um she had two daughters. Yeah. Um, one of which was, like, forced by the Pope. Like, for God's sake, guys, just get it on. Yeah. Um, so, over 13 years of being married to Henry, she has five sons, which are William, Henry, Richard, Geoffrey, and John. Mm-hmm. Um, William, I think, may have died young. Right. So, Henry is going to be the next king. Yeah. Um, and actually, he gets crowned while Henry II is still king. Okay. So this had happened in other times. I have seen this happen. Yeah. So Charlemagne, for example, who will reference a lot, who was like this great king and then emperor of France and Germany and parts of northern Italy. I mean, doesn't his name basically mean Charles the Great? It does. Yeah. (laughs) So Charlemagne also had his son crowned while he was still king. Okay. Which is like, it makes sense. These are difficult times. Yeah. Um, Would, Would that have changed like... 
um, what am I? What am I thinking of? Hi, am I thinking of hierarchy? Like basically the power. Yeah. Would crowning the young king? Would he have had basically all the responsibility and abilities of a king, or is it kind of like? Like a bit of an apprenticeship scheme. It's an apprenticeship scheme, right. for sure. Like, you don't really get the power. Yeah. Your dad still has the power. But you're technically king. Yes. But he's, like, just behind you, just going, okay, so you need to do this here. Mm-hmm. You need to you need to give money to these people and execute these people. Mm-hmm. What? Pay attention. Pay attention. Stop looking over there. <laughs> like, eyes on the throne, child. <laughs> <laughs> And when I tap the dashboard three times... <laughs> Perform an emergency stop on the economy. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so Henry becomes Henry III. Right. And then I think we have another Henry III later on because Henry III does not last very long. Right, yeah. Um, so they have all these kids. Henry was crowned King of England in 1154. Two years after they'd got married. Right, this is Henry II. Henry II. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and Eleanor was crowned Queen of England by the Archbishop of Canterbury December of the same year, so mm-hmm. a couple of months afterwards. Um, now, there is also the possibility she might have had a, an extra son who died, but this is only mentioned by John Speed, who was a, a historian in the 1600s. Right. Um, who wrote a book called History of Great Britain. So, could be. Could not be. Right. What I'm trying to say, though, is that clearly they were really into each other. Yeah, they got it on. At the same time, they were super argumentative Mm. all the time because Henry II is a really strong personality. Yeah. We already know Eleanor's a really strong personality. Yeah. (laughs) And Henry's not going to put up with her, like, strength of will in the same way that Louis does. Yeah. Whereas Louis is just sort of like, okay, dear, okay, dear. Mm. Henry's like, no, no, get out. And she's like, you get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about Henry for a second. Yeah. Like, obviously really into Eleanor, mm-hmm. but he had a reputation for philandering. Oh, dear. Um, he had other illegitimate children throughout their marriage. Oh, no. Um, but Eleanor seems to have been reasonably chill, mm. actually, about most of this. Um, so, for example, there was one child, Geoffrey of York, who was an illegitimate son of Henry's, mm-hmm. uh, got acknowledged by Henry as his child and okay. was raised in the care of the Queen. Right, yeah. So, kind of like that whole moment in Game of Thrones where they're looking after Jon Snow and they're yeah. like, I'm pretty sure that this is my husband's illegitimate child, yeah. but we're going to look after him anyway. I like that. Think- I think this is the thing. This is actually quite an interesting point because I think that's more common than people might think of. Oh, sure, yeah. Like, uh, I'm yet again going to go back to the Vikings because that's kind of my area of expertise. But uh, essentially adopting someone else's child or your illegitimate child was seen as, like, the honourable thing to do. Absolutely. And, like, people had great prestige if they took in children who couldn't be raised elsewhere and like mm. that and raise them as their own like bloodline is not quite as important in like a biological sense as i think some people might think mm. it's more about sort of social bloodlines yeah. as it were well in this case it is definitely like this is my child yeah. i must raise him um but the i guess there is this sense um that having an illegitimate child 
isn't something to be ashamed of yeah. and is something that your queen will go along with, even if it is Eleanor of Aquitaine, who mm. doesn't really put up with nonsense. So this suggests to me that maybe she's okay with it. Yeah, maybe they've got an arrangement. Could be. <laughs> the I first mean... poly king and queen. <laughs> <laughs> I England. mean, we've already talked about, there's a lot of rumours about Eleanor having sex with basically everybody. I mean, yeah, but I'm, I'm largely discounting those because, you know misogyny <laughs> sure we can largely discount them but there is still this kind of sense that you know maybe mm, okay um and that would also make sense if we're sort of saying that maybe this relationship is one where they're kind of like yeah whatever like bring your illegitimate children around and i'll babysit them and yeah, yeah all of that kind of thing um okay so the problem is, as well as him philandering, yeah. that they've created this empire by getting married. Right, yeah. Uh, I think it's the Angevin Empire. Ooh. I know. And it stretches Angevin. all the way from England, when he gets crowned, down to the bottom of France. Angevin. Angevin. The local family biscuits. <laughs> Enjoy the crumbly texture and soft. Caramel flavours. Andrevu biscuits. Was it Andrevu, sorry? Andrevin. Andrevin. Andrevu. Andrevin. Sorry, it does sound like a biscuit. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's try and create the Andrevin biscuits. Andrevin biscuits. I mean, it's, it sounds like something that um, Charles, as in the Prince of Wales would probably make, oh, right. right? yes. It sounds like a duchy of whatever I original. I, I don't know, because that always just, I just think of shortbread. He makes a lot of biscuits. Yeah, but I, I always think they're like, in my head, because it's shortbread, it's like yeah. his biscuits are big and stodgy. Angevin biscuits are more like lotus biscuits. They're like, they're thin, they're subtle, but oh so classy. <laughs> Angevin biscuits. Um, I think you may be going too subtle for the actual Angevin empire here. <laughs> I think, no, I think that this this would be filled with fruit and smothered in chocolate biscuits right. if we were going to describe the Angevin empire. Yeah, okay. I'm now thinking about, I hadn't taken into account the actual personalities of the people involved. <laughs> like we, we I, I don't know, I can't remember if I cut it actually. We briefly talked about courtly love uh, oh, we're going to talk episode. a lot about courtly love here. Nice, but I mean, that was like Eleanor of Aquitaine's whole business. That was, was her deal. She she had the whole courtly love thing. So yeah, you're right. It would be flamboyant and over the top, wouldn't Probably it? Probably coated in that gold leaf that yes. does nothing but make it sparkly. <laughs> like these would be the tackiest biscuits you've ever seen. <laughs> yes. Just look like lumps of gold. They just be both. It's like chocolate coins, <laughs> but biscuits. But biscuits. Oh my god! I actually really want one of those. I now. kind of do too. Okay, well here's our new business venture. Yeah, Angevin biscuits. biscuits. <laughs> All right, so um, we've got the Angevin Empire. Yeah. However, a lot of the people in the Angevin Empire live in Aquitaine, mm-hmm. and they don't see Henry as being the ruler. Of the Aquitaine, right? They see Eleanor. Eleanor is the only person that they are going to answer to. Right. So that's going to cause you a lot of issues. Yeah. So, okay. So it's one of these things where technically he does rule it, yeah. but the can, he doesn't have the consent of the population, basically. <laughs> right. Okay. So for all intents and purposes, Eleanor is the ruler of the Aquitaine mm-hmm. and Henry is the ruler of England. Yes, and Normandy. And Normandy, yeah. 
So yeah, so that's that's not going to go well. No. Um, that's going to lead to some power struggles. Uh, <laughs> it does. Excellent. It does. And um, and obviously we've got all of these issues going on. Um, as well as that, you've got uh, the feud between Henry II and Thomas Beckett happened at this point, which yeah. we might cover like in more detail in a different episode. Mm. Um, and also, uh, you've made Henry III the new young king. And when we get to the point where she's had her youngest son, John, mm-hmm. um Henry starts to have an affair with a woman called Rosamond Clifford. Right. This is in 1166. Okay. And this seems to be, like, the snapping point on Mm. the marriage. Like, Eleanor's fine with all of his numerous affairs and raising his illegitimate son. Yeah. But once Rosamond gets involved, no. Why is she so different? It's suggested that the difference really is that Henry seems to have been deeply in love with her. Right. Like deeply okay. infatuated with Rosamond. Right. Um, to the extent that there's this whole story about how um, he was worried that Eleanor of Aquitaine would find out about their relationship. Um, and in the story, he made a, he made a maze right. in his park in Woodstock in Oxfordshire. Right, um, which was incredibly complicated, so that she, could, so that they could carry out the affair in the very inside of the maze. <laughs> That's going to take some explaining. Like, <laughs> Honey, oh. I'm building the maze. <laughs> I'm going to be spending a considerable amount of time in my maze. <laughs> I mean, most people just have like a den or an annex <laughs> or something. And I, I appreciate the, you know, the, the thought and the effort going into it, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's a bit grandiose. Your your affair is not a minotaur that you need <laughs> to hide in the centre of a maze. Oh, uh, but, you know, Eleanor, Eleanor is yeah. obviously, as we know from everyone else's writing about her, except for that one Greek histori- yeah. historian, um, Eleanor is the worst. Oh yes, of course. So totally in the in the <laughs> legends, right? She um, manages to work out the way through the labyrinth and then confronts Rosamond with a dagger and a bowl of poison and forces her to choose between the two. <laughs> a bowl of poison. A bowl of poison. What is that? <laughs> like... I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's a bowl of poison. But I, I, so sometimes I have these things where it's like. <laughs> Uh, poisons obviously can take different forms, but a bowl of poison. A bowl of poison. Is it liquid? Is it berries? Oh, it's liquid. I, I mean, that makes it more mysterious. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to leave that. But frankly, frankly, I think this is a dumb move on Henry's part. We know Eleanor is clever. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's gonna, really smart. She's going to see your sex maze. <laughs> And she's gonna work out that something is amiss. <laughs> this is not a normal thing to do. Like maybe, maybe if Henry was clever as well, he's be, he'd be seeding the idea for a long time. Sort of like, you know what? I really like a maze. I really like a mm. maze. See, just... I've heard that Louis over in France is building a maze. Maybe <laughs> I should have a maze. And we know that Louis is not up to anything no. in his maze. Yeah. 
So anyway. 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 Sex mazes aside. Sex mazes aside. Oh, that's a hard <laughs> thing to say. Sex mazes aside. <laughs> sex mazes aside. Sorry. <laughs> no one needs to hear this. Let's go on. <laughs> Sorry. A brief reference to a very popular podcast here that all I'm imagining is like my dad wrote a porno the opening bits where they're having sex in a maze oh my god that does happen that does happen I forgot about what that what if Rocky Flintstone of MDWAP fame <laughs> was actually inspired by the story of Rosamund <laughs> no 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 he, <laughs> he definitely wasn't <laughs> although I hope at some point I, I know it's unlikely but I hope at some point this link is brought up oh yes because Oh, that would be a wonderful inflation of his ego. Let's write to them. Yes. Okay, so, um, sex mazes aside, um, the marriage basically breaks down at the point when he's having this affair with Rosamund. Yeah. And, um... I get that. There's a difference between, like, physical cheating and emotional cheating. Yeah. I can imagine that must feel kind of sad. Yeah. Um, And so, in 1167, she, uh, Eleanor, goes back to Poitiers. All right. Like, because... <laughs> I'm done, I'm out. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, screw you guys, I'm going to. <laughs> uh, so she goes back to Poitiers. Henry doesn't stop her from doing this. Actually, he and the army escort her there, yeah. like, on the way to attack a castle. Um, and then he goes on about on his own business. She He basically leaves her with this guy, Earl Patrick, um, to be her protective custodian. And she's in charge of the Aquitaine. That's basically it. Okay. And at this point, we get on to the court of love. Oh, my. I know. Oh, my. Oh, my. All right, so we don't know much about the court of love. Oh. But <laughs> we've got a lot of rumours. Yeah, we're going to talk about them. I love speculation. So Eleanor basically chills out in Poitiers between 1168 and 1173. Yeah. And this is a really, like, big time for Poitiers. So... Um, we've said already, her grandfather was a troubadour, mm-hmm. basically roamed the landscape, singing love songs and making out with hot babes. I think that was part of the bit that I cut. Okay. But, okay. So, <laughs> Eleanor's grandfather, William the Ninth, I think, of right. Aquitaine, um, was a troubadour. Mm-hmm. So the troubadours were kind of like, basically wealthy guys who'd got a guitar... Or, like, you know, a loot. A loot, yeah. But I'm saying a guitar because, like, there's that whole, like, you know, wealthy white guys with a right, guitar. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what they did was they roamed around the countryside singing songs about love and seducing babes. Yeah. That's what they do. Um, and so she's got this idea from her childhood, basically, of troubadours. Yeah. She's got the idea of courtly love as well, which mm-hmm. originates from the south of France. Yeah. So courtly love, I think, is so fun and hilarious. Yeah. Um, just a quick explanation for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, in all these medieval stories, you've got this idea that whoever you are as a knight in a court, you want to be flirting with as many women as possible. Or like, actually, choose a single woman. So you choose a single woman and you're like, I am devoted to you. I'm going to fight in your honour. I'm going to carry your symbol around with me so everyone knows that I'm fighting for you. Just one single lady. Just, Just one single, single lady. lady. <laughs> and um, and everything's going to be like, oh, so romantic. Yeah. But also, nothing's ever going to happen between us. Yeah. Because you're married to someone else. <laughs> 
I'm devoted to you, you forbidden fruit. Absolutely. And, and like this idea is actually brought up in The Legend of Arthur, mm-hmm. that we all know. The whole deal with Lancelot and Guinevere is uh, like, Lancelot yeah. is meant to be doing courtly love. He's meant to be like, Guinevere, I love you so romantically. I'm going to rescue you from all these situations. But then obviously he oversteps the mark and, and sleeps with her. down. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't do that because that's when the whole court falls apart and you're not there. Yeah. And everything gets ruined. Because courtly love can... Obviously, people overstep the mark all the time. Like, yeah. obviously they do. Yeah. But the idea is you're not meant to. If you see what I mean. Yes, like, yeah. No, it's I acceptable. And their husband can't be jealous with you for sending them love poems and stuff like that. Yeah. Because it's not real. It's like a game. Yeah. It's kind of like... I, I guess it's a bit like people who develop crushes on celebrities. Sure, yeah. And, like, you, you might write them fan letters and things like that, but you're not really going to be in a relationship. I mean, obviously, in this case, it's more you actually have direct contact, yeah. but, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like it's a paraphilia sort of thing. Yeah, it's like you're playing this romantic game, and it actually makes a lot of sense for the time, given that loads of people in the court would have been married for political reasons. Yeah. So this is your chance to get, like, your romantic flirtation stuff Aww, out. Oh, that's actually quite adorable. I know, right? It was quite cute. Yeah. Like, Aww. I think I think Courtly Love, when carried out properly, is kind of cute. Yeah. Um, and also, she wants to bring in the ideas of chivalry, mm. um, which have never truly been defined. No. Um, but to give, like, a vague idea, basically, you know your ideas of what chivalry should be from, like, 1950s America? Okay. Like, men opening doors for ladies, yep. being really nice, and all that kind of thing. Like, that is what we mean in this case. Okay. So... Nothing about just riding around on a horse. I mean, riding around on a horse is a good idea. Mm. Like, add that in. Okay. Um, but basically, the whole idea of just being, like, always polite to women and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it is suggested that um, her court, her court of love, yeah. um, was created in order to teach manners. And, like, her court was the first one to have, like, polite manners. <laughs> like a finishing school yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, there's some questions about whether the court, whether the court of love as it was, really existed. Definitely, all this stuff would have been going on in her court. Right. But some people believe that basically they meshed these ideas together, they created them into a single court, and then they did something really interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, this is according to a man called Andreas Capellanus, who wrote the art of courtly love back in the day. Okay, name is awesome, book title is awesome. Mm -hmm. And he writes about the court of Poitiers. He says that Eleanor, her daughter Marie, Mm -hmm. Ermengarde, the Viscountess of Narbonne, Wow. I know, what a name. Ermengarde. Ermengarde. And Isabella Flanders... We must rise (laughs) to the kingdom of Ermengarde. Would sit... The beacons have been lit. (laughs) I'll stop. (laughs) Okay, so he claims these four ladies would sit and they would listen to the quarrels of lovers and act as a jury. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, I promise I'm stopping now. No, it's okay. I promise. It's all right. Do you want want to talk about Ermengarde? No, no, no. Let's go on. Are you sure? Yeah. Ermengarde, though. I know Ermengarde, but let's go (laughs) on. They're taking the hobbits to Ermengarde, are Okay, so they would sit and they would listen to the quarrels of lovers and act like a jury mm-hmm. um, to decide the questions of the court that revolved around active romantic love. So, Trisha. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Is that still a thing? I don't know. 
I mean, I, hopefully, regardless, our audience will know the sort of thing I'm talking about. Oh, uh, sure. Like, um... A calm Jeremy Kyle show. <laughs> Jeremy Kyle, that was another one, yes. <laughs> yeah, that sort of shit. Yes. Uh, but these are a bit more sort of um, high-minded ideas, often. Right. So, Capilanus wrote down 20... 20- Jeremiah Kyle. <laughs> 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 All right, so, um, he records, so, uh, Andreas Capilanus... Mm-hmm banging name mm-hmm. he records 21 cases and the most famous of these is the question posed to women can true love exist in marriage okay and according to the Catalanus, the women decided no it's not at all likely okay interesting do they give a reason presumably because they're all these courtly ladies yeah and they've all been married in order to fulfill some political it's reason. hardly an objective answer <laughs> Um, and obviously you've got specific roles that you have to fulfil yeah. whereas with romantic courtly love which is their idea of like what true love is it's all about yearning it's all about yearning and you obviously don't get that when like Eleanor you get married to somebody because you don't want to get kidnapped <laughs> anymore yeah yeah that makes sense mm. Um, so some people believe this court of love never existed because the only evidence for it is Andreas Capilanus's book right Um Another point to this is that Marie, Eleanor's daughter, never actually stayed with her mother in Poitiers. Like, there's no evidence of that. Oh, okay. Well, it's taking the wind out of the sails of the idea a bit. Um, but uh, Polly Schroyer Brooks, who wrote a non-academic biography of Eleanor, made mm-hmm. a suggestion, which I quite like. Okay. Which is that the court did exist, but it was like a sort of parlour game made up. Yeah. To, partly in order to put some order over people and to establish this idea of what courtly love should be and shouldn't yeah. be. Which I could really see people oh, do. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Like being like, okay, we're going to judge over love. Like, how mm. do you define it? What do we What do we want from a proper romantic relationship? It's the 12th century. you got to do something in the evening. Exactly. So there's this idea that it's a sort of game, which I can really believe because I think that courtly love is a sort of game. Yeah. Like, it's a sort of cute romantic game. Yeah. That you have to remember not to take it too far and pretend that it's real. Mm. But men would... I mean, probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, okay. Like, obviously we're talking about different times. I was just thinking that it's just one of those things that you just hear about it and it's like, this is cute. Men are going to ruin it somehow. Well, but remember that in those days, they believed that women were the ones that were taking yeah, into the sex. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, here's our court of love. Mm-hmm. She's chilling out there. Mm-hmm. She's relaxing. Mm-hmm. She's telling young men, you know, to be nice. Mm-hmm. Like, this all sounds good. Put it away. Put it away. That sort of thing. <laughs> Young ladies, put it away as well, for heaven's sake. Everyone, just put it away and mm-hmm. write love songs to each other. Absolutely. <laughs> but then... Okay. In March 1173, mm-hmm. Henry, the young king... Right. ...has had enough because he doesn't actually have any power, as right. we've discussed. Yeah. So... He launches the revolt of 1173 to 1174. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And Richard and Geoffrey, at this point, are in Aquitaine with Eleanor. Yeah. Uh, Geoffrey being her, oh gosh, fourth son? Yeah. But the third one that's still alive at this yeah. point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, they are living with their mother in Aquitaine. And the younger Henry goes to Aquitaine mm-hmm. and 
Eleanor's like, okay, boys. <laughs> we gonna kill your dad. We're gonna revolt. <laughs> We're gonna do this. Allegedly. Well, that makes it less dramatic. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, I could put in some like big rousing music mm -hmm. right here. Allegedly. <laughs> oh, well, fine. Uh, uh, this is a lot of sources saying, oh, Eleanor did this. Yeah. So, yeah, probably, maybe. Mm. Um, so, basically, they get Richard and Jeffrey to join in. They leave for Paris. Eleanor might have encouraged the Lords of the South to rise up in support of them as well, nice. which... Again, like if the like the Lords of the South did rise up and support them, and yeah. they only answered to Eleanor, so yeah, that it's makes sense. Probably yeah. under her command. Uh, so yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> if the Aquitaine is not going to respect the word of Henry the mm Second, -hmm. they're not going to respect the young boy who isn't even really king. Yeah, the sort of king. <laughs> yeah, the king. The king light. <laughs> the diet king. The no calorie king. <laughs> Oh man, if we did that kind of naming convention nowadays, it would be dreadful. Yeah. Henry the No Calorie King. <laughs> Henry the Diet. <laughs> oh, that sounds very um, Welsh. I quite like that one. <laughs> yes. Okay, so they rise up, they get crushed by Henry's armies, as mm. in Henry II. Yeah. Um, sometime between the end of March and the beginning of May, Eleanor leaves Poitiers and she gets arrested mm. and sent to the king at Rouen. Yeah. Um, so, at that point, she gets arrested. She's imprisoned from 1173 through to 1189. Oh, wow. I know, right? Yeah. Um, so, basically, Henry just keeps her prisoner yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And, I mean... I feel like he's a little bit more justified, at least than Louis. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, is, it seems quite likely that she has, if not completely instigated, then at least mm. abetted yeah. in this rebellion. Yep. I think you're justified in going like, I want to keep an eye on you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know where you are and what you're doing. Definitely, especially because you've got the Lords of the South in the palm of your hand, yeah. and you could legitimately create a sort of civil war across this empire. Yeah. So, yeah. Queen Eleanor um, is now in prison, and she's in prison for years. And as it's sort of shown in The Lion in Winter, she did get brought out for special mm. occasions. Um, so often Christmas, she did get brought out yeah. wherever she was in prison. Yeah, because the, the whole sort of premise of that film is, is Christmas time. Yep. She's coming to visit and see her husband and her sons mm -hmm. and power struggles happen. Mm. Especially because for The Lion in Winter, it's the point where the young king, Henry, has just died. So how, how does the young king die? Uh, Henry III had kept trying to force his father to give him more power. And he kept doing this all the way up into the 1180s. Mm -hmm. So in 1183, he was still going, please, give me power. Yeah. And Henry was like, no. Um, so he really, he was in debt. Yeah. He, he wanted control of Normandy, and his dad was like, no. So he tries again to attack his father. Mm -hmm. um, and he's joined by troops sent by his brother, Geoffrey, who is still my favourite. Excellent. Um, and... Yeah, he doesn't do very well. Then he starts wandering aimlessly through Aquitaine. As you do. As you do. And catches dysentery. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> Which is no. the saddest way to die. Yeah. Um, okay, so he's got dysentery. 
he realizes that he's dying and begs his father to set his mother free. And then he was like, nah, nah, <laughs> she's staying in prison. Um, actually, she does get a little bit of freedom because of this. Okay. Um, because they, uh, technically Henry Third, the young Henry, has got some control over properties in Normandy. Yeah. And, like, obviously he wasn't allowed to do anything about it, otherwise this whole thing wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, but this means that we end up having a little bit of an argument, because by this point, Louis is dead. Right. And we're on to King Philippe II of France. Yeah. And he claims that some of those properties, which belong to the young Henry, hmm. now belong to his, Philip II's, half-sister Margaret, because she was Henry's widow. Right. And Henry goes, no, they once belonged to Eleanor. Ah. And they should revert to her upon her son's death. Right. So obviously, we're going to get Eleanor out, and yep. we're going to put her in Normandy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she's still supervised at this point. Yeah. But she's way more, she's way less actually in a prison. Right. Um, so around the 11th, 83, 1184 period, she's um, basically traveling with Henry II around mm -hmm. the country, and sometimes she's associated him, with him in the government of the realm. So sometimes she has power, yeah. um, but she's definitely under close supervision, mm. so that she's not going to, you know, encourage any more of her sons to try and overthrow their father. Mm. She seems like a bit of a set piece at this point. She is a bit. Yeah. Um, that said, there's still some interesting suggestions about her, so I'm going to rewind us a little bit okay. to before this freedom happens, while she's still in prison, is when she's supposed to have murdered Rosamond. Oh, okay. Rosamond died in 1176. Right. And there's this suggestion somehow that despite being imprisoned in whatever castle, mm -hmm. um, that she managed to poison Rosamond. Yeah. And it's genuinely, like, it was genuinely believed that she'd done this. Well, I'm, I'm imagining she didn't do it personally. No. She arranged matters. Yes. The one that's even weirder is there's a speculation that Eleanor placed Rosamond in a bathtub and had an old woman cut Rosamond's arms. Why? What? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. That's such a weird and specific thing. Yeah, that's very specific. Poisoning sounds easier. I think probably poison. <laughs> like, I think if she actually had anything to do yeah. with Rosamond's death, definitely poison. I mean, it's hard to tell because, as we said earlier, like, Eleanor of Actane, big victim of smear campaigns. <laughs> so... I bet they would love it if Rosamond died, you know, of dysentery or something, and they're like, Eleanor did it. Mm-hmm. Oh, Eleanor definitely did everything. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. Sure. Everything, everything bad. Everything bad. bad. Everything good was Henry. Yes. <laughs> um, so there's still this, uh, like, basically... Within her time when she's married to Henry II, mm -hmm. uh, there's this, like, really tumultuous relationship between the two of them. Yeah. I think that at the beginning of the relationship, they genuinely cared for each other and had a passion for each other. Yeah. But towards the end, no, not so much. I think when I think the problem was them kind of splitting up so that she could go to Poitiers yeah. and have her sons there. Yeah. And then after that, we kind of end up with this like weird 
Sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. Sometimes absence makes the heart grow rebellious. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, the great thing about Eleanor, though, is that she outlives Henry II, as mm. well as having outlived Louis by this point. Nice. Uh, she outlives Henry II, and legitimately the first thing, or one of the first things that Richard does, is he sends for his mother and says she's got to be let out of prison. Mm. So, at the death of Henry II, which I believe is in 1184, no, 1189, mm-hmm. uh, Richard II, one of his first acts, he sends a guy called William Marshall to England with orders to release Eleanor from prison. William Marshall gets there and finds that the custodians have already released her. <laughs> They're like, we know what way the wind is blowing. Absolutely. Richard loves his mum. <laughs> <laughs> so Eleanor rides to Westminster and she receives the oaths of fealty from loads of lords and prelates on behalf of the king. Yeah. And she rules England in Richard's name. Amazing. She signs herself, Eleanor, by the grace of God, Queen of England. That's so cool. I know. <laughs> and she basically remains in this position of power, this kind of like de facto ruler of England, mm. um, for a reasonable amount of time, at least until uh, the crusade massively gets underway. Yeah. So I think I'm going to leave her there. Okay. Um, at some point, I'm going to talk about Richard's capture mm. after the crusade. And that features Eleanor in a super big way, which yeah. is still super badass because let's face it, by this point, she's getting on a bit. <laughs> and she's still doing stuff. And she's still doing everything. Yeah. She's still ruling countries. She's still going on massive voyages at like the age of 83 or whatever. Mm. Like the woman just does not stop. <laughs> I guess she had a nice break for 16 years and well, just chilled. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I suppose being in prison, but I'm imagining considering that she's, you know, royalty and yeah. the uh, leader of the Aquitaine, her prison is not going to be like a dank cell. It's going no, to be no. like house arrest. It's definitely the whole house arrest thing. She was kept in like castles. Yeah. I would say palaces, but I don't think we were really onto palaces by that point. No. She was kept in a load of castles around England and then went and celebrated Christmas with her sons. Mm. And that's, yeah, that was her arrest. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I, I think she could have got the whole of Aquitaine to rebel if she'd really Probably, wanted to. Probably, yeah. So one of the things to point out that it's not super relevant, but it's it's one thing that I want to mention just for our listeners who don't know. The inheritance of the crown mm-hmm. is not at this point, if I remember, you've told me this before, if I remember correctly, the inheritance of the crown is not just passed to the eldest son. No, it's not really set yet. It it's, has to be worked out. Yeah, bit. they're kind of nominated. Yes. And this is the reason for Henry crowning Henry the Young King. Yeah. And when he does, because that way you're you don't have to worry about some weird power struggle happening mm. when you die. So even though it's kind of coincidental that Richard was next in line in mm. terms of age, that was an arranged matter. Yes. Rather it than it had been a long argument. Over yeah. It, yeah. And that is like most of the plot of the line in winter mm-hmm. is which son is going to be king after Henry dies. Yeah. So when Henry dies, we get on to Richard. Um, Mm. And Richard's an interesting one because he's... like He's an absent king. For a long time, (laughs) he's just been super beloved by historians and he's still kind of beloved by filmmakers, but Mm. he spent a quarter of his reign in England, I think. Yeah. A lot of it was in 
on the Crusades. And to be fair, he still has the whole Angevin Empire going on. So a lot of yeah. it's spent in France. Yeah. Um, but he's sort of portrayed as this great English king, which, no. No. I'm not even sure if he speaks English. <laughs> Probably a better general than he is a king. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely better at lying in bed and shooting people with a crossbow. Yeah. And asking for peaches. And asking for peaches. Throw back to our first episode. Ah! So, let's leave Eleanor here Mm -hmm. with, um, like, final freedom. Freedom! She's not going to get married again, and she's not at a point where anyone, like, wants to marry her again. She don't need no man! Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) And she can just get on with being awesome for the whole of her old age, to be honest. Excellent. So, thank you for listening to That Time When. Um, you can follow us on Spotify, you can like and subscribe and all those kinds of things. Could you give us a five-star review if you're on iTunes? iTunes? Yes. Um, also, if you want to hear a particular story, if you really want to know mm. what happened to Eleanor next and you don't want us to wait until our 50th episode, which I've got no planning, <laughs> uh, then you can email us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Or, or follow us on Twitter at that time when four, or just search that time when it should come up. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for any music that we use within this pod, mm-hmm. and especially for our opening soundtrack, which mm-hmm. frankly I think is a jam. I love it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Editing it is always editing the beginning of this the podcast is always fun because <laughs> I always listen to that bit and I like getting timings right and that. It's it's good. It's a jam. Lovely. So thank you so much and we'll come back next week when Barnaby will be hosting. Ooh, Ooh. I need to work out what I'm gonna do. Shh, don't tell.